Welcome to From the Booth, the podcast sponsored by BYU International Cinema, where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. I'm Chip Oscarson, co-director of International Cinema. I'm joined here today by fellow co-director Mark Yamada. Great to be here again. And uh, Myra Oscarson, the assistant director of International Cinema. Hello, everyone. The films we're going to be previewing today are Jojo Rabbit, the hit comedy from 2019 by Taika Waititi, about a young boy in World War II Germany whose imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. It's not as grim as it sounds. <laughs> uh, then Broken Hill Blues, a 2013 film by Swedish director Sofia Norlian. Uh, it's part of our Anthropocene Cinema series. We'll talk about the documentary about renowned visual artist Banksy, Banksy Does New York, directed by Chris Morkabel from 2014. And then finally, uh, we'll touch briefly on Sergei Bondarchuk's adaptation of War and Peace. We're going to be having our next installment of this the, uh, episode focusing on 1812 and Napoleon's sacking of Moscow. Uh, so there's a lot to look forward to here. Mark, why don't you start us off with Jojo Rabbit. What's exciting about this film? Yeah, well, it's Taika Waititi's latest film, and really, I think in some ways, his most complete film. It's a film that deals with a very, in some ways, serious topic, which is... The Holocaust. Holocaust, <laughs> right. And about a, a, a boy who has an imaginary friend who is Adolf Hitler. I saw an interesting interview with Taika Waititi, and someone asked him, why did, why did you make this as a, a comedy? Why not a drama? Yeah. And he said that I don't know how to make dramas. I just know how to make comedies. And I think that's kind of interesting way of thinking about this film. Because sometimes we get stuck in this idea that, you know, serious topics have to be approached through drama. But maybe through a comedy, it allows for different ideas to come through, a different perspective on the event to come through. And I think that's what you get in this film a little bit. You know, it's it's making fun of Hitler and Nazis, which we've been doing for years. And I think that's yeah. it's not as controversial as it, it sounds, right? Because we've had the producers and all these films that have dealt with this kind of idea of almost like this kitsch way of, of, of making fun of, of Hitler. So, But it, it does a good job of being kind of controversial and making fun of uh, the Nazi movement, but at the same time, having heart, right? Yeah. And dealing with uh, some very serious topics. And it does, I think it does a respectful job, right, of, of treating uh, history in this way. So it's a fun one to look forward to. It's a comedy, you'll be laughing, but it's also something that is serious and takes a little bit of a serious uh, turn towards the middle. Well, and it's got an interesting critical attention as well, right? It won the BAFTA um, Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. It's nominated for it's Best Picture in the Oscars. I think, the, it is, yeah. the we'll I think we'll, this weekend. We'll if... find out this weekend. <laughs> That's right. By the time this episode uh, shows up, you know, there might be more news about about this film. But it's you know, it I think that speaks to how it's reaching beyond a simple comedy right. that there's some depth to it. What was your reaction well, to seeing it? It's definitely a satirical comedy. Yeah. And this young boy who is not accepted by his peers and very much uh, an easy target for this this brainwash, really. Like yeah. he's a Hitler youth. And yeah. as you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, Hitler is his uh, imaginary friend. So that, that is not funny. Like, like <laughs> Nazism is, is not a funny topic. But because his beliefs are challenged yeah. and there is like a strong message against war and for peace. Yeah. Um, for, for me, this was a, a very, um, it, it was an, a very good film. Yeah. And it's, it's an adaptation as well. So the novel, I think it's a loose adaptation. Yeah. This author from, I think she's from Belgium, but has an Italian parent as well. So anyway, but Caging Skies. So it's an adaptation of her book. Her name is Christine Lenas. Yeah. Yeah, so something to I look mean, forward to. And if you like YTT, 
Come for the Wilder people. Is, right. is coming at the or beginning Thor, of... Or Thor, if that's your, <laughs> oh, Thor, if that's yeah. more your flavor. But, but Thor is not at IC, but we will have Hunt for the Wilder people yeah. beginning of, of April. That's right. Yeah, he's he's having a, a certain moment. The, the Guardian talked about him as an ambassador for what they refer to as a brand of New Zealand comedy. I'll read you the, mm-hmm. the, the quick quote here because I thought it was funny. A comedy that seems to be quintessentially New Zealand, modest, understated, deadpan, mm. even when surreal, rooted in the essential crapness of life. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, and there's a way in which it's um, both Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit is about um, fairly mundane situations. In fact, it takes things like the Hitler Youth Movement and Nazism generally, and it makes it mundane, mm. um, yeah, which... Yeah. You know. And uses pop music to kind of show oh, how the music. fascism yes. is, yeah. you know, this kind of movement, right? And plus, we have to say it's set in Germany, but everybody is speaking British yeah. English. So, yeah. um, and and there's a, a rich, I guess, heritage of Nazi comedy with Chaplin and Mel Brooks. And, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, so. and it definitely yeah, definitely fits fits within that. Well, a film that's slightly more serious, I would say, is uh, Broken Hill Blues by Sofia Norlean. Slightly, uh, you said. It's <laughs> Slightly. Well, okay, maybe a lot more. This is from 2013, and this fits with well within our Anthropocene series. That This is one of those, I would definitely refer to it as an art film. It's a film that is not, it's less about narrative and kind of the drive of narrative. It's If you go into it thinking of it as visual poetry, I think it will make more sense to you. I mean, nominally, it's about three youth growing up in the northern... Swedish town of Kiruna. Uh, Kiruna is up above the Arctic Circle. It's a mining town. And there's not a lot of future for youth in this town, right? That there's there's the mine and there's not a lot else. And these youth are kind of confronting that at the same time that the background, that is the mine itself, the city itself, is is literally crumbling. And, and this is true to life in that Kiruna has for years and years been uh, mining underneath the city. You know, the iron deposits are actually underneath where the city was, was established. It was established as kind of a utopian city, you know, back at turn of the century. And, and so it becomes this metaphor for the Anthropocene. That is, human action is changing human environments, and not just human, but also natural environments, you know, the environments that we live in. And the nature is spectacular up in northern Sweden, as, as one might imagine. Cinematography is really beautiful. It won the, the Swedish equivalent of an Oscar for its cinematography. I think that the English title is a mis missed it just a little bit. It the, the Swedish title is Ömhäten, which literally translates means tenderness. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yes, yes. As or you or you might that. even stretch it a little bit and yeah. call it vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's much more what it's about, the film. It's about these youth vulnerability. It's about our vulnerability as a species. It's meditative and gets into some really interesting philosophical questions, which we'll, we can take up when we discuss it you know, after it shows. But, but if you go into it thinking about how is this creating mood? How is this creating atmosphere? How is the music working with the image? How are the images working with each other? that you'll, you'll begin to, to see how it's making a certain kind of argument for our relationship to the places that we inhabit and the fact that we're part of greater systems than, than just ourselves. We don't stand outside of nature. As, as part of our analysis, too, I'll include some of a conversation I had with the director uh, that I was able to meet up with her in Paris this last fall, and we sat down and recorded uh, an interview, and I'll make some of that available. She had some really interesting things to say about it. Fantastic. Yeah, I've seen a, a few critiques that were not so positive, but I think the and they were mainly criticizing the lack of plot. Right. But I think you setting it up as a visual po- poetry 
And um, that's that's how we need to look at this film. That's right. Go into it thinking, you know, we don't read poetry the way that we read prose. And likewise, there's sometimes there's films that that are functioning on a different logic, and you have to kind of, you know, re recalibrate. We also have a documentary on Banksy. Banksy, I think, is known to, to many people, but this is a, a street artist. We don't actually know who Banksy is. He's guarded his, his identity fairly, fairly closely. And this documentary, Banksy Does New York, is about one week in October of 2013 when he was in New York, and every day he was doing a different work of, of art, kind of street art, guerrilla art around New York, and he was leaving little clues on Instagram about where things could be found and, and the documentary filmmaker is following this, right? Right. I mean, he's he's a pop artist, so he has, you know, a lot of stuff's kind of on the nose, but yeah. I mean, I think what what's interesting about this and what he does so well is that he turns it not so much into the the message of the work art itself, but really kind of the whole the whole medium, right? That it's about the way we consume art, the way that we produce it, the way that we kind of treat it as kind of social art and the way that it, you know, it becomes kind of a commodity. And in some ways, he kind of turns the attention to us as consumers and, and has this kind of this huge scavenger hunt where people are rushing around to try to find it and and uh, and then trying to collect and, it and, and collect know, it like and, literally and take pictures next to it and, and all these kind of things. And so it turns into kind of a, a fun way of maybe making fun of art itself in mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so much fun. It's a, And if you remember Exit Through the Gift Shop, yeah. I mean, that's a, a documentary made by Banksy yeah. uh, in 2010. And the idea that after the museum visit, you literally exit through a gift <laughs> shop where you've seen art and it's not so much available for you to 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 purchase but you can have a piece of art in the model of like a a puzzle or poster or whatever something that you can afford and so a reproduction of what you may have seen on the walls and here this it's it's more like an installation art if you will experience that he offers the the new yorkers over the month of october 2013 and he, he raises really good question like who owns art and i mean at some point, you'll see a balloon that's that's on the wall, and really, like it's begging people to stand there and mm-hmm. pretend they're holding that string and take a picture. So all of a sudden, the viewer is is part of the art, mm-hmm. and so it's 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 asking all those questions, and then it's this wild hunt for free art. So it's <laughs> it's really like revolutionary in 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 many ways. Yeah. yeah okay creating frenzies at, you know, at times. <laughs> well, to help us um, navigate some of these questions about Banksy and about art, we have Professor James Swenson from our art history department. He'll be lecturing on Banksy on Wednesday, the 12th of February at 5 p.m. as part of our regular Wednesday lecture series. So we invite uh, you to come and, and hear that if you want a little bit more context on Banksy. Uh, the final film that we're going to be showing this week is War and Peace, and this is the next installment, the third installment now of War and Peace, that we have Pierre who wants to, to see and experience battle up close, and so he's going to be an eyewitness to the Battle of uh, Borodino, which is one of the defining battles in the history of Russia. In fact, that this film was made in part to commemorate the 150th, I think it was, anniversary of this this battle where the French defeat the Russians. I hope I'm not giving away too much (laughs) in saying this. But the French continued to advance on Moscow. Uh, The spectacle in particularly this third episode, uh, which um, goes with the subtitle 1812, is is over the top. And there is a lot of innovation. There's a lot of creativity that's uh, ingenuity kind of required to get the kinds of shots that, that they they film here. They have cameras on wires that are doing all kinds of crazy things at the same time that they're choreographing the work of like, you know, tens of thousands of extras. 
So this is, uh, you know, it's been fun to see this on the big screen so far. And I think that if, if there's any episode to see on the big screen, you know, maybe it's Who this needs one CGI, coming. right? I mean, this is... No CGI. Yeah, <laughs> this, is all, this is all the real deal. And, it's, and I think that it's interesting because that, that limitation of not just being able to do CGI spurs a certain kind of creativity. Yeah. How are we going to do this? It's almost too easy, right, to be yeah. able to rely on, on computer graphics. Back in the day when they would actually have to kind of build models and, and be yeah. creative is kind of... Nice to see here. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on From the Booth today for our preview episode. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU, which is supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they don't necessarily represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. Uh, we'd like to thank our sound engineer, Jojo Hegstrom-Pratt, as well as the staff of the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Until next week, we hope to see you at International Cinema and 250 The Kimball Tower. Thanks, Mario North. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot.